Well, I think most of us are old enough to remember one of the great battles of our generation, when all hope seemed that it was lost, when even reality itself was hanging in the balance. Despite the the most valiant efforts of some of the world's most courageous men and women, evil appeared as though it would prevail. And if you remember, it was during this one battle when a lone soldier stood against the forces of darkness. You all know what I'm talking about. The last battle in Avengers Endgame. That's right. Captain America, Steve Rogers, he stood against Thanos and his evil forces. And he he stood with the same grit and attitude that he had had in all the MCU movies before, that he could in fact do this all day. Right, he straps his shield back on, shattered. We knew he was worthy to wield Thor's hammer at this point. And yet even for him, the original Avenger, this Avenger stud, he needed Avenger buds, yes? It's true. He, uh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> I mean, think about it. You, you recall the movie, how timely, how hope-filled were those words that came through his earpiece from his buddy Sam Wilson, on your left, right? You know how the movie ends, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry, right? The portals open behind him, countless friends and other Avengers, men and women, come to his rescue, and the tide of the battle completely turns, Friends, we need friends. We need people in our corner. We need help. Even the best of us need friends. We see that in in 2 Timothy in our last passage as we've been tracking through the whole book this week. Paul, by all ministry standards, was a ministry stud. And yet here at the end of his life, the last thing that we have recorded from the Apostle Paul, we see that he needed ministry buds, men and women in his circle, in his life, who would encourage him, who would be with him, who would help him, who would, who would bolster him to the end that he would endure and the, and the things that he needed, we, we see that he passes on to Timothy. Timothy, if you are to endure in gospel ministry, here's the title, you need to cultivate your ministry friend game in order to endure in your ministry end game, to get to the end, to be faithful to the task that God has given you. And friends, the same is true of you and me, that as we prepare to head home this morning, You and I need to be reminded, maybe for the first time, we need to know that we cannot do this alone. Maybe that's that's obvious for some of us. Maybe others of us have forgotten that. You know, it's easy here at Focus, I think, or at least easier at Focus, to kind of have these rose-colored glasses when it comes to ministry or following Jesus, because let's let's be honest, Focus is a real gift. There's things like the bonfire where you can just roll up and and talk to 10 people about the Lord, and it's super encouraging. That's a gift. But for some of us, when we head home in a few hours, we're gonna enter a a community, an environment, an atmosphere where the same people aren't around us and the people that we interact with aren't gonna encourage us in our faith. They might try to oppose our faith. They might give us weird looks when we talk about Jesus. And we're gonna be inclined to be discouraged, to wanna lose heart, to throw in the the towel to go, is is it worth it, God? Is your plan still working? We need friends. We need ministry companions around us when life is difficult, when hardship comes. And for some of us maybe who are in seasons of difficulty, because of being faithful to the gospel, we need to be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus as we put one foot in front of the next to endure, to faithfully carry out the mission that he's called us to, to guard the gospel entrusted to us 
and to faithfully teach the word. That's been our theme the whole week. Friends, it is no easy task. And yet, it is absolutely worth it. I'd love to show you that this morning. So as we prepare to read our passage, look at page 26. We'll read it together and, uh, and, and walk through it. And I would encourage you as we read this to, 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 to view this last passage not as a tack-on to the end of the book of 2 Timothy. There's going to be a lot of names, a lot of places that are difficult to pronounce. This is not the credit reel after the movie is long over. This is, this is Paul's last charge to Timothy to say, this is exactly what you and I need to endure faithfully, faithfully to the end. So with that in mind, let's read our last passage. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 9. Paul writes, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth. And I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let me pray for us and we'll, we'll tackle that passage together. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are faithful to us. Thank you that even in our highs and lows, in our moments of victory over sin and in our moments of failure, God, your mercy is more. God, you were the one to take initiative with us while we were your enemies, that we might be your friends, that you would be our true friend to the end. I pray that you'd help us to understand your passage this morning. I pray that you would remind us of the, the task and the mission of the privilege of serving you this side of heaven. Would we do it for your glory and in your strength? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few things that Paul really highlights as the book of 2 Timothy wraps up. And the first thing that Paul does for us is he reminds us of the need for ministry companions. You'll notice right from the get-go of our passage, verse 9, Paul issues an imperative to Timothy. He says this, do your best to come to me soon. Do your best to come to me soon. I love that our section starts this way because if you've read any amount of Paul and his letters in the New Testament, Ephesians or Colossians or... You, you almost get this picture that Paul is untouchable at times. Like, like he's, this, he's this superhero Christian, and my life will never be like his. Right? He's just in a league of his own, and yet you read a passage like this, and all of a sudden, Paul becomes very relatable. It's a very real, kind of earthy uh, uh, experience because he says, Timothy, please come to me. Do your best to come to me. In other words, he needs relational encouragement. 
He's looking to his friend to come to him. Verse 21, he almost says the exact same thing. Drop down to the end of the passage. He says, Timothy, do your best to come before winter. Translation, Timothy, I really need to see you. Would you make every effort to come? Time is of the essence. Remember chapter four, verse six, last night, Dan showed us that, that Paul, he's at the end of his life, and this is what he wrote, chapter four, verse six. He said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Translation, Timothy, I'm not on my deathbed yet, but time is running short. I still have some ministry fights, some ministry life in these veins of mine, but I don't have very long. Would you please come? Would you make every effort to get to me? I'd really love to see you. And this isn't even the first time that Paul has told Timothy that he wants to see him. All the way back in chapter one, on Sunday night, this is what Paul told Timothy. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. For Paul's joy, for Paul's benefit, for Paul's encouragement. Friends, Paul was a person just like you and me. He needed ministry companions by his side. If you think about it like this, first century, cutting edge technology, letter writing was like the pinnacle of where tech was, okay? I don't know if they had stamps or not, but they had seals, and they would send the letter. That was like as good as it got, and yet nothing beat face-to-face. He's like, I need to see you face-to-face, brother. Would you please come to me? Do everything you can do to get to me. And friends, in our day and age, when we can message people just like that, we have, we have thousands of followers maybe on Instagram or whatever, and it feels like we have companions galore. Do you have one or two people in your corner, a brother or sister in Christ who you can go to, who will come to you in seasons of weakness, in seasons of joy, who are in your circle? That's what Paul's getting at here in our passage. So I put Proverbs 18 there. It says this, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Friends, it is clear, as Paul writes to Timothy, that Paul did not value Timothy solely because of his productivity in ministry, what, what, what Timothy could do for the kingdom of God. Paul valued Timothy because of his friendship with Timothy, because of his relationship with Timothy. So what does that mean for us? If you are a student leader here, or maybe you just became one, you applied to be part of an, a leadership team on campus or part of a, a shepherding team or you have some sort of leadership role or maybe you're a disciple maker staff sitting in the crowd or maybe you just became a Christian here at Focus or this semester and, and you want to have an impact for Jesus, praise God. Sometimes I think this is what happens to us. We want to have an impact, but then we have this other thought that invades our mind, which is this. I don't want to be fake with people. I don't want to treat people as a project. I don't want to be inauthentic, and that's a good desire. We shouldn't be fake. We shouldn't treat people as projects. But so we convince ourselves, I need to just be organic. I just need to be spontaneous. I need to just wing it. Maybe God will just open a door, and I'll just kind of know who I'm supposed to invest in. And God does lead us. That's why we pray for his leading and guidance. That is true. But that does not mean we shouldn't have a plan when it comes to people, that we shouldn't be purposeful when it comes to people. How do I know that? Look at verse 21 again. Notice this detail that Paul includes of why it's so important to have a plan. He says, Timothy, don't just do your best to come to me. There's a time sensitivity to it. Come before winter. Why? Because when winter would hit in the Mediterranean, travel conditions would be much more perilous. It might not have been possible for Timothy if he waited too long to go and visit Paul. So so Paul says, can you make plans? And friends, the same is true of us. We need to make plans at times because it can actually be the best way to love people around us. 
That might even mean looking at your schedule before next semester hits to go, what are some times that I have so that I can invest in people around me? I might even need to make margin in my schedule such that everything's not up to the wire and I can seize the opportunity that God might present that I wasn't planning on that this morning because God's bigger than my you know, Google calendar and I want to be open to what he has for me. Right? So if you're Timothy, this would have encouraged you because, you know, he just heard chapter four, get ready to preach the word in and out of season. Appreciate how Dan said last night, he's actually charged by Paul in the presence of God. It's this sober charge that Paul's giving him. But if you're Timothy, you're thinking, wait a minute, which one is it, Paul? Am I supposed to get my sermon together for next Sunday, right? Get ready to preach the word or come and see you. Should I get on Expedia.com and get, you know, tickets to sail to you in Rome? Which, which one should I do? Which one's first? I don't think the two are mutually exclusive, but it seems to me that Paul says a top priority in ministry, if you and I are to endure to the end, is to make relational encouragement, to to, to pursue friendship and brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a central thing that should go through our mind. That's the first reason that we need ministry companions, relational encouragement. Here's the second. We need ministry companions because, friends, you and I have practical needs. We have very tangible, practical needs. Look at verse 13, what Paul writes. Paul asked Timothy to bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. So it's a previous trip that Paul had taken. Apparently he had forgotten his cloak or left it purposely. Maybe he gave it to somebody else probably, but he doesn't have it. And here he is sitting in his jail cell, and guess what? Winter is coming. He needs a warm outfit. He has a very practical need, not to mention, Paul includes this detail, he could use some good books. He has some time to read. He's like, can you bring the books and above all the parchments? We're not gonna talk about what those are. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe he wanted to keep writing letters. He's like, I'm not done yet. I'm gonna keep encouraging the churches. Bring, bring my resources. But whatever it was, he had very practical needs. We see practical needs again in verse 20. Drop down. He says, Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill or sick at Miletus. So there was a ministry companion of Paul's His name was Trophimus, and at some point in their journey, he had gotten sick, and so Trophimus could not continue on with Paul in his journey. Presumably, had he not gotten sick, he would have been with Paul in Rome. But Paul realizes Trophimus is sick and says, Troph, buddy, pal, you need to stop. You need to slow down. You need to take a break. And so he he remains at Miletus. And friends, that happens at times. Anybody get sick? Anybody raise your hand? Anybody get sick this semester? Oh, yeah. It happens, right? And when that happens, it usually knocks us out for a few days. And, and I think what's so helpful is that when we get sick or when we have very practical needs arise, we need a friend who's in our corner who can have the courage or, or kind of knows us well enough to say, hey, brother, hey, sister, take a break. You don't need to be at Bible study tonight. God's kingdom is bigger than you. It's okay right? Go take a nap. Go for a walk. Go watch a movie, right? Let's go grab a milkshake. Whatever it is that you've just stop and slow down. Do you have a friend like that who's, who's able to do that in your life? If you're that kind of person. Now, some of us, we need the exact opposite friend because some of us, we don't need to take a break. We actually need to push harder. And we get sick. We get tired. We think, oh no, the world is ending. And we need a friend who goes, who says, you know, it's okay that you're tired. Tiredness can actually be evidence that you're being faithful to Jesus, Keep pushing, God is at work. I'm with this in, you know, in this with you. We need friends in our corner who are willing to do that. We see Paul do that for Trophimus here. Practical needs, you and I have them. 
That's why we need ministry friends around us. And then lastly, we have seasons of weakness. We need friends because you and I experience seasons of weakness. Look at verse 11. I love this detail that Paul includes. He says, Luke alone is with me. If you knew anything about Luke, this should really encourage you. Because Luke was a medical professional. He was a trained physician. He was a doctor. Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, John? He's the author of Luke. He's the guy who writes the Gospel of Luke. He is a doctor, and he is with Paul here. That should shout out to us. Paul has very tangible needs. He's in a season of weakness. Remember Caleb highlighted for us all the the persecutions that he went through at Iconium and Lystra, all these places, right? He was stoned and left for dead. If you read about Paul's life in the New Testament, he was shipwrecked. He was left for dead. He was chased out of cities. He was on the run. He was beaten. All these things, his body, friends, was ailing and aging. I mean, he had grit. He had courage. The Lord strengthened him, but our bodies are finite. How merciful, how timely of the Lord that Luke, a doctor, is with him as he's sitting in jail. And see, jails and prisons back then, yes, they were enforced by the state, but unlike today, they were not supplied by the state. You were on your own to supply for your needs. Here Luke is with Paul, not just to encourage him, not just to maybe help him get the word out about his condition, but to care for his medical needs. I was talking to a student earlier this semester at one of our large groups asking how his, his week was going and stuff early this semester. And, and he said, I've been in the hospital all week. And I was like, oh my goodness, are you, are, are you okay? He goes, I'm fine, but I've been visiting a friend who's, who's been admitted, and I don't know exactly when he's going to be discharged, but he's going to be in there for at least a, f- a few more days. And so I've been going every day to visit him, to bring him snacks, just to pray with him. And I said, does, does anybody even know that he's in there? He said, well, he's an international student, and so his family hasn't even gotten the word yet that he's in the hospital. And I thought about that and I thought, man, what a picture of ministry companionship that this student on his own, just out of a love and service to his friend, really an acquaintance at that point, would go to the hospital to minister minister to him, to to be faithful and to encourage him. That's a picture of the kind of ministry companionship that we need. I have another friend in ministry who I, she's in a season of chronic pain. And she can't do ministry in the way that she would hope to or that she has in the past. And at times that can be very discouraging. She can't always minister to women on campus in the way that she, she wants to, and it hasn't stopped her from doing ministry. Sometimes it means a phone call. Sometimes it means simply just sitting down to pray for the students who she, she cares about or just to operate out of weakness to say, I, I can't do all the things that I could, but, but can we just sit and talk and can we read God's word together? One of the things that's helped her in this season of chronic pain is to have a few good ministry friends around her to remind her that her value is not based on her productivity for God. Her productivity is not the thing that defines her. her what defines her is her, her is her identity in Christ, that God has purchased her, that God loves her. Friends, do you see how these words to Timothy may have encouraged and equipped Timothy in his own ministry? Timothy, one day you too may find yourself in a season of hardship. We already know that there's counterfeit Christians in the church who would oppose Timothy. One day, the gospel and being faithful to it might land you in even hotter water. You might find yourself in prison. If that happens, when that happens, you need people around you who can remind you of the gospel, that you might endure to the end. So what does this mean for us practically? It means this, friends, by all means necessary, cultivate these kind of friendships now. 
Work on these friendships now. You know, as, as, as one who is now on the other side of, of college by a few years from you now, uh, I'll say this. Life only gets more complex. Life only gets busier. I'm not saying your life isn't busy, but it actually can get busier than it is now, believe it or not. And so the, the relationships that you cultivate now, the investments that you make now to, to pursue, to encourage one another, will pay dividends for years to come. Maybe even more practically, this summer as you head home, do you have a plan in mind to, to connect with people? Do you have a, a plan to visit people? It might mean you need to drive some distance because you don't live around people in the fellowship. Or you need to work with somebody or another. Maybe you met somebody playing nine square this week and you're like, man, we live in this, almost the same area. Can we, can we come see each other? Can we grab lunch? That's the kind of initiative that we are encouraged to do from this passage. Maybe it means even for some of us, if we have a wealth of Christian resources at home, you know, you come from a Christian family. You have a good Christian church at home. Do you have an eye for people around you, maybe even here this week, who are going home to a spiritual wasteland, who don't have all those resources? What would it look like to pursue them? To, to hop in a car, get some friends, and go visit them this summer and say, we just want to spend some time with you, to, to read God's word, to pray with you, to encourage you. That's the kind a thing that we see in this passage. And, and maybe one last application before we move on is this. I think this passage, it gives us permission and it gives us the freedom to make our needs known to others. I think sometimes you and I, we, we I mean, none of us like to look weak. None of us want to be the needy one. But I think in that, when we are weak, when we do have a need, we, we, we're hesitant to vocalize it because we don't want to look weak. And so we just hope that people around us will read our mind. Maybe they'll just intuitively know how they can help me. And, and then people are finite, and so they often can't read our mind. And then we just get more discouraged. And so we don't ask for help, and so people don't help, and then we feel like we need more, even more help. Friends, if you need help, ask for help. Talk to somebody before you leave. You're like, man, I've never shared any, with anybody this thing that I'm struggling with. Please reach out to somebody today before you leave. If you're going home and you're like, I don't have any Christian community. I think it was mentioned at one of the meals, right? The summer fellowships and stuff starting. Try to connect with somebody here. There's a resource around you and it's God's people. We see the need for ministry campaigns. That's that verse from Ecclesiastes chapter four. It says this, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. We have a real need for a few good friends around us as we seek to endure in the ministry that God has called us to. But notice as the passage rolls on, we notice that Paul, he shares with us the specific context for why ministry campaigns are so vital. There's particular hardships that come as we seek to be faithful to Jesus that will come into our life. If it hasn't happened yet, don't be surprised when it happens. There's two I'd love to highlight for you. The first is this, personal abandonment. Personal abandonment can happen in ministry. Look at verse 10 with me. Right after Timothy says, do your best, or Paul says, do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. He says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So a little bit of Bible study 101. Whenever you see the word for, that's a reason statement. The logic is that Paul wants Timothy to visit him. Why? Because or for Demas has deserted me. He's abandoned me. Little backstory on Demas. Demas was not a mere acquaintance of Paul. This wasn't, you know, somebody who he just kind of met along one of his ministry journeys. You know, if Paul had a smartphone, okay, Demas was in his favorites. That's who Demas is to Paul. How do I know that? Colossians chapter 4, you can write it down. Colossians 4 verse 14. This is what Paul has to say about Demas. He says, our dear friend Luke, we saw him in verse 11 here, our dear friend Luke the doctor, and Demas send greetings. 
This was a close ministry associate. This was a coworker of Paul's. This is someone who was in the trenches with Paul, and he says, Demas has deserted me. In fact, we get this detail. Why did he desert Paul? Verse 10, he was in love with this present world. That should remind you of what we heard about on Tuesday night. Remember chapter three? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Friends, the sense you get of Demas is that though he started off very strong in ministry, though he was with Paul through hell and high water, there came a point where he's like, I'm done. I don't wanna do this anymore. It's too hard. He threw in the towel. You know, in the same span as it takes us to get an undergraduate degree, Colossians was written four years before he writes 2 Timothy. In that span of time, something shifted in Demas' life where he's like, I'm out. Peace. Can you imagine the sadness and the pain that's going through Paul's mind? One of his, his closest friends, his ministry companions, deserts him. Have you ever had that experience? Someone who you thought was in the gospel trenches with you. Maybe you even led Bible study with them. Maybe you grew up with them and you were in youth group together and then they went off to college and you went off to college and you're following the Lord and you're like, what happened to them? Friends, when that happens in ministry, don't be surprised. That can happen. We see it here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I remember years ago, talking 10, 15 years ago, there was a student in our ministry who they, they came to Christ in college, they, they, they put their faith in Christ, and they were a wonderful student. They were the Second Timothy 2-2 kind of student. They were funny, they were smart, they were winsome with evangelism. It's the kind of person you wanted to be around. And, uh, and, 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 and it seemed as though we were, we, were, we were jiving, right? And it, something happened at some point during their undergrad, uh, real tragedy, Real suffering hit their life, and, and for whatever reason, it, it hardened them toward God. They were like, I, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. If this is what it means to follow Jesus, that's the kind of God who lets suffering come in my life, I want no more of this. And very publicly and very consciously, they denied Christ and they walked away. That, that wound in my life relationally has never quite healed. I still get sad when I think about that. I still pray for that student. I still hope that they would come to Christ, they would, they would return and repent and see the hope that Christ offers them. But it's sad when that happens. And I think Paul includes this detail partly because it happens, but partly to encourage Timothy because when it happens, it shouldn't cause us to also want to throw in the towel. It's not as though God's plan has failed when people decide to walk away. That's why I put that, that quote from Charles Spurgeon. He writes this, he says, the same sun which melts wax also hardens clay, and the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. Friends, the gospel is the aroma of life for some, but it's the aroma of death for others. It doesn't mean that we have failed if persecution or abandonment comes. That's the first hardship that you and I need to be aware of in order to take off the rose-colored glasses for ministry, that we're not disenfranchised, we're not jaded when difficulty comes. Or if it's already come into your life. That's the first hardship. Here's the second, which I think is even more difficult. Not just personal abandonment, gospel opposition. Look at verse 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And here's the warning. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Paul's telling Timothy, if you want to persevere in gospel ministry, you, you, need, to, you need to know that there will be people that oppose your message. And when you read Verses 14 and 15, at least when I read it this spring, it, my mind went to people 
uh, on the outside of the church, right? People like Richard Dawkins or, or the late Christopher Hitchens, right? People with an atheistic worldview. And certainly there, there can be opposition from, from that camp, sure. But that's not who Alexander the coppersmith was. He was an insider. He, he was a counterfeit Christian, as Mike Kreider had, had, ta- had taught us earlier this week. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, this is what Paul has to say about Alexander. He says, some have made a shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So here's Alexander the coppersmith. At some point, he's in the church. He's part of Paul's community. He's doing his thing, and, and, and he's blaspheming. And Paul, out of love for Alexander, says, I'm going to hand you over to Satan. In other words, translation, there, there's been some form of church discipline. There's been a conversation that, that Paul had to have with Alexander to say, hey, brother, you're, you're, that's not the way that Christians are supposed to live. I, would you turn? Would you, would you come and, and, and repent? And that, that was his hope, but it seems like here now in 2 Timothy, Alexander has not learned his lesson. In fact, Alexander's seeking to do harm to the cause of the gospel, even to Paul personally. We don't know what that would have looked like. I'm not going to speculate. But what we do know specifically is that Paul tells Timothy, watch out for this guy. More literally, he says, keep yourself away from him. Be on your guard against him. And Sometimes I think that's counterintuitive to the gospel because we're called to love people, Yes. Yes, right? We're called to love people. Okay, yes, okay. You're like, I don't know if that was a you know, rhetorical question. Yes, we're called to love people. But I think the Bible gives us a category of certain people, particularly insiders in the church, who says if they're not actually following Christ, if it's just a, if it's just a game, if they're just faking it, if they're just doing it for their own personal benefit, um, you need to be aware of them. You need, you need to watch. You might even need to stay away from them. He's not talking about outsiders, He's talking about insiders, and we're not called to debate these people. We're not called to to keep inviting them to Bible study necessarily. We're called to keep loving them, yes, but we're called to actually beware of them, watch out for them. It might mean even creating boundaries in your life such that yourself and others around you might be protected from them. And friends, that takes a lot of wisdom. I'm not gonna tell you exactly what to do or do this, but it takes a lot of wisdom, which is one more reason we need ministry companions around us who can help us discern, is that this kind of person? That might mean you need to talk to your campus staff worker. That might mean as you go home, if you find a person like Alexander the coppersmith in your life or in your fellowship, you need to talk to a pastor at home. If it's at the point where it's even impacting some area of of campus life, you might need to talk to your advisor on campus or even an administrator, depending on the situation. But I think it should give us great hope that the Bible actually gives us a category to put people like this into. We still hold out hope, but friends, humility does not mean being naive. It doesn't mean being a pushover. That's why I included that, that verse from Proverbs 11. It says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. As people are around us, they can help us to discern, is this the kind of person that I just need to persevere with? Or is this the kind of person I need to watch out for? And sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult for us to discern it ourselves. We need a, a multitude of counselors. I hope you see that. I hope that as you see those hardships in ministry, it, it, it helps you not to be surprised maybe if that's already come into your life, I hope that if it comes into your life or when it does, it it won't throw you off. Certainly be sad over it. Pray for these people. Pray that God would work in the midst of it. But I want to point us not just to the hardship of ministry. I want to end our time this morning and even our week together on the hope that we have. Friends, there's one bright spot of hope in this passage. Maybe, Maybe you caught it 
Verse 11, Paul says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. If you know anything about the life of, of Paul or Mark, Paul and Mark, they, 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 they were, they were um, ministry companions at a time. Acts chapter 15, you can look it up for yourself later, Acts 15. There's a whole story about how Mark and Paul, they're, they're doing their thing together. But there came a point in their ministry when Paul and Mark, they, they kind of couldn't see eye to eye. They, they had a conflict. So much so that they had to separate. They, they parted ways. And if, you, and if you stopped reading the Bible in Acts 15, you're like, well, that's Paul and Mark. That's hopeless. You're like, oh my goodness. There's no hope if we have conflict. What can bring us back together? But then you read 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. You're like, wait a minute. There's always hope in the gospel for God to bring and restore people to reconcile relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think that gives me great hope because... I was talking to a few of the, even this week, that sometimes the conflict arises, even among Christians. Don't be surprised when that happens. We have a great resource. His name is Jesus. He died for his enemies. He died for you and me. That means that you and I can actually lay down our lives for one another, even in the midst of conflict. There's always hope. Paul says to Timothy, as you come to me, as you, as, as you sail to me, as you make your way to me, can you pick up Mark along the way? I want to see that guy again. I love that guy. Love to see him one last time. Bring Mark with you as you come. Friends, there's always hope, but I don't want to just end on one bright spot of hope. I want to end on the source of hope itself, our true ministry friend, Jesus himself, the rescue and heavenly advocate. Notice the end of our our passage, how Jesus shows up. Paul shows us in verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. May it not be charged against them. I'm not bitter. I'm not holding it against them. But notice, the Lord stood by Paul. Though all had deserted Paul, Paul was never truly alone. And friends, if you know Jesus, if he is not only your Savior and Lord, but he is your friend, you are never, ever, ever alone. He is with you. He stands by you. He is for you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will never fail you. He will never abandon you. That's the hope that we have, in fact, verse 17, he's not just with Paul, but he's strengthening Paul. That even if all our friends abandon us, even if all leave us, the true friend stands with us. Even if the world seems like it's standing against us, and it may well be someday, there's the true friend, Jesus Christ, who stands by our side. Friends, gospel arithmetic means that even if your life feels like it is falling apart and you are standing on the rock named Jesus, your life can never, ever fall apart. Jesus himself holds it together. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. That's why I put that hymn at the top of your page. The the 19th century hymn says this, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, and they do at times. Foes assail me, he, my Savior, makes me whole. Jesus is our true friend. Jesus is our true companion. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. Not just that Jesus strengthened Paul. That would be encouraging. That would be reason to have hope. But notice that Paul even saw a greater purpose in the midst of being strengthened. He says, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. What a perspective. That he, he realized that as he's sitting in this jail cell, he's on trial, he's awaiting to stand before the Caesar himself, 
the most powerful man in the known universe, that in the midst of that, he says, not only is Jesus with me, not only am I strengthened by him, but that he's strengthened me so that I can be faithful to the end, that I can keep proclaiming God's word that other people might put their faith in Christ. You know, if you're Paul, you're going, you want to put me on trial? That's fine. Just a new audience to preach the gospel to. <laughs> you want to put me in chains? It's not the first time I've been to prison. Just a new office space to write letters from. <laughs> like, you can't touch this guy. And friends, remember, Paul was not untouchable because he's some special guy, per se. He's just like us. He had the same spirit of God living inside of him, just like you and I have. If we put our faith in Christ, you and I, if you've never thought about this, you and I are invincible in Christ until he calls us home. Though the world may stand against us, though our friends at times or those we thought were friends may abandon us, though suffering may come into our life, though hardship may feel like it is, it is bigger than us, nothing can touch us until the Lord calls us home because Jesus has a greater purpose for us and he loves us. We see that in Paul's life. And if that weren't enough, not only are we invincible, we have an unlimited resource at our disposal. It's God's word. Paul here is in chains, sitting in prison. Remember earlier this week, chapter two, he says, I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal, but, if you can finish the sentence, the word of God is not bound. We can always share God's word. It's one more reason to get it into our heart and our mind and our soul, like the, the breakout earlier, scripture memorization. Friends, don't underestimate God's word. It's powerful. It changes our life. It changes those around us. We don't need to be so smart. We don't need to be cutting edge. We don't need to be flashy. We just need to be faithful to preach God's word and let God do the work as we, as we do that. So what does this mean as we wrap up? Brothers and sisters, if you have put your faith in Christ Part of enduring in ministry and being faithful to Jesus, it does not mean that we will go through life without hardship on account of the gospel. It can't mean that. We see that in the Bible. We see that from our own experience. Nor does it mean that if we, pay, if we face pushback on account of the gospel, something has gone wrong. I don't know if, you, if, if you've realized this or experienced this, it's often in the, the seasons when we are weak when there's gospel opposition, though we wouldn't ask for it, we're like, oh, this is so hard. It's often in those seasons when we see God most powerfully at work. And so if you are in a season, lean into that, keep sharing the gospel, do not let it discourage you because just it might be that very time when you see God work in a powerful way. Press into sharing the gospel, press in to run the race, keep fighting the faith. And if you're not a Christian this week, as was mentioned earlier from up front, we're really glad you're here. Thanks for enduring a whole week of Bible preaching and Bible teaching and conversations with us. It's really been a privilege to spend the week with you. And I have two encouragements for you before I, before I pray. Number one, friend, you are loved more than you know. You are loved more than you know and you are loved by more than you know. You see that in verse 17, Paul is persevering with people who had never even met him that they might see the hope and the love of Christ as he shares the gospel with them. That means, friend, if you're sitting here and you're not a Christian, if you do not see Jesus as your savior, do you realize there are people around you this week? There are people in your life who are loving you, who God has placed strategically around you, who are praying for you, that you would have an unshakable hope for all eternity, 
that you would know your true friend, Jesus Christ, who is with you thick and thin, who's died for your sins, that you might have his righteousness and spend eternity with God. You are loved more than you know and by more than you know. And here's the second thing, and I think more importantly, you have a friend who will endure with you to the very end. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You know, campus fellowships are great. I work with one. I work with many. I love campus fellowships. But they can never replace Jesus Christ. Playing Mafia, playing Spicy Uno, playing Nine Square, those are all great things. We should delight in those things. But they can never replace Jesus Christ. And sometimes we try to replace Jesus with those things, but what happens is there will come a point, if it hasn't happened already, when those things will fail you. And those things can never meet the needs that you ultimately have because you weren't created for those things ultimately. You're created by God to worship him, to enjoy him, to delight in him forever, and that's why Jesus came. No greater love has anyone than this than he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus, friends, has laid down his life for you while we were once an enemy, that we might be his friends. It's why we love how the battle in Avengers Endgame ends. Tony Stark, Iron Man, what does he do? He lays his life down, not just for the multiverse, but for his friends. Why, do, why are we stirred by that scene? It's because it's a shadow. It's, it's a faint picture of what our true friend Jesus Christ has done for us. Do you know that, friend? Would you call on him as your savior? As you think about him, would he call you his friend? If, if you're not sure of that question, if, you're not, if you don't have certainty or assurance, you can know for sure this morning, you can ask that he would come into your life. You can see, Jesus, I know that you've, you've died for my sin. Would you make me your friend? Would you give me that kind of hope that I keep hearing about this week? He loves answering those kind of prayers. That's the God we serve. That's the hope that we have. I think that's why Paul he ends our passage this way, and we'll pray with this. Verse 18, he says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory for an ever and ever. Amen. Why don't you take a minute, reflect on, on what you heard this morning. Maybe reflect on what you've heard, heard even this week. Maybe this is a time to talk to God and just say, Lord, would you help me to know more of this hope, more of this love, that you've shown in Jesus. And, and after a minute, I'll, I'll pray for us to wrap us up. God, we thank you that you didn't just die for sins. You didn't just die for sinners. You didn't just die for servants, God. You died to make us your friend. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you took initiative with us, that while we were enemies, God, you died for us. And we, we pray that you'd help us to understand more of your love this morning. I pray that if there are people here this, this morning who don't have a, a true friend, uh, in a practical way, would you, would you connect them to others around them? 
that they might experience the kind of fellowship and community that you've created us for. But God, I pray for all of us that our ultimate hope would not be in the people around us, though good gifts, but in you yourself. God, would you strengthen us by your grace? Would you send us out from this place, not just to endure, but to thrive as we seek to, to proclaim your word, to live for you this summer? God, we love you, and we thank you for your son. We ask this in his name, amen.